The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member. And we don't mean your Aunt Dolores. You stink! The TNT Shop has it all at tntradio.live. This is the Sonia Poulton Show on today's News Talk, TNT. Hello there. What was it that song famously said? Friday, I'm in love. Yes, indeed. It's Friday and welcome to the Sonia Poulton Show on today's News Talk TNT. This has been a tremendous week. I've loved this week. It's been great. I can't believe this is my fourth week at TNT. I'm really starting to feel part of the furniture now, which I don't know whether that's a good or bad thing. But hello to you all. Thank you, as always, for contacting me on email, on X, on Instagram, in the live chat chat and of course we're on rumble and youtube hello there rumble and youtube i know you're commenting out there in youtube great to have you with us i want to start with are you familiar with tom's story it's been going on for well over a year now it's about a young man in his 20s with the mental age of a young child a british british lad tom is blessed with a devoted and thankfully thinking mother So much so that when the coercion of COVID jabs began, Tom's mum refused on his behalf. This was not met with a positive response and the state began a long and arduous process of attempting to force Tom to have an experimental jab. In September 2022, a county court judge's honour, Judge Burroughs, ordered that Tom should be jabbed as soon as possible. The family GP refused to inject, but the local authority had found a GP who, like them, wanted to inject despite the advice and without explaining the reasoning. I mean, I think there's a special place in hell personally for those who are so hell-bent on these experimental jabs, but I digress. This, of course, calls into question many, many issues, not least the state taking over the role of a parent, but what what has happened? What has happened to bring this all up to date? Thankfully, lots of good people have been rallying around Tom and his mum, and they managed to get to February 2024 without Tom being forcibly jabbed. Tom's mum and Tom, of course, have been through a type of hell, including threats to imprison them, contempt of court, the police being called to enter their homes, smears and threats, and pretty much anything that would pressurise her to give up her fight and have her son jabbed. But thankfully, as I say, she withstood the pressure. But in October 2023, after months of silence, the authorities' solicitors wrote to Tom's mum to say, we have a jab ready for Tom and his mother must bring him in to get it. Can you imagine that? She was hoping that the authorities had actually found better use for their resources. (laughs) Apparently not. Um, And yesterday they were back in the High Court and before Mr Justice Hayden, who had heard the appeal against an earlier decision. So the good news. Well, it turns out that uh, the expert opinion that was given in March 2023, the judge decided that there was no real basis to reopen the matter. He's decided that the passage of time and the change in the COVID landscape now justifies looking carefully at the pressure and the expert opinion. This puts a pause on the situation, but it's better than a judgment which would have forced through Tom being mandatory jabbed. This is a win for decency, for common sense. Unfortunately, Tom's mum, a full-time carer to her son, is ordered to pay one-third of the state's expert fees, an expert who will be named shortly for the next stage of this process. There is a crowdfunder online to help her costs. 
The judge took the opportunity to say that this case is not about state versus family because, to paraphrase Tom, with the mind of a baby as an adult and the court will exercise his autonomy for him and taking the decision away from a reasonable parent is what Parliament intended, even if they didn't, didn't say so expressly in the Mental Capacity Act. And uh, so the fact is, this jab programme is really being shown for what it is, right? Like bribes, coercion, blackmail, bullying. And there is no reason to continue this on, on behalf of the local authorities or any authorities indeed. This, in my opinion, and we are still allowed opinions, is sheer bloody mindedness and it needs to stop. This is a waste not only of money, but of bullying these people. It has to stop. Absolutely it does. But as far as yesterday, absolutely win because no mandatory order to have Tom jabbed. And that has to be seen as a win, which is fantastic. And I wanted to introduce a slightly lighter note to proceedings uh, in the opening of today's show. And that is I asked a question on X. We are, we are living in a youth-obsessed world, but what about the value of ageing? Tell us in the comments, what is the value of growing older and of being mature? I'll start, I said, knowing what's important and what to ignore. And let me read some of the responses. James says, saying no, thank you. Chris said, no longer worrying about what people think about you. As long as I have family and friends, I don't care anymore. Uh, Nigel says, not having any regrets. And uh, Logan, Nine Fingers, I know who is over there in Australia, says older folks don't sweat the small stuff. Ben from Chasing Descent, I know who's been a guest on TNT, says learning the importance of what is right in front of you. Appreciation is a wonderful thing, isn't it, Ben? And Hope, who's often in our comments, says realizing my intuition had always been correct. Indeed, indeed, Hope. Graham says knowing that opinions of you from people you don't know or don't like or don't respect, cannot hurt you. Indeed. And on that note, this is the point when we bring in the brilliant Gemma Cooper, and I'll be right back with her. The facts, no spin or agenda. Not enough with the lies, we need the facts. This is today's News Talk Radio, TNT. And it's Friday with Gemma Cooper, of course. And Gemma, before we, we go into what you're here to talk about today, I have some excellent news as a consequence of your news reporting this week. I have been contacted by four in total dentists who absolutely agree with what you've been saying, and they are keen to talk. And one had already contacted me previously, and we will be talking to her live on this show on Tuesday about the crisis in British dentistry. And Gemma, this literally shows that our reporting, your reporting, is being heard far and wide. Well done. That is great work. Oh, thank you very much. I mean, that's a, that's a wonderful thing to hear on a Friday. We always try to leave the week on a positive note, don't we? And, you know, the court case there, thank goodness for the, the judge seeing sense, because that would have set a precedent for not just people who are, you know, not capable of making their own decisions, but, the, you know, the rest of humanity. Uh, there is no law. There's no law in the land that says, you know, the state can come in and stick a needle in you that much the, though they would want one. I mean, that story is worth further discussion, I think. Absolutely. And it's not over yet. But the dentistry story, we've covered this all week and it's, it is an absolute scandal um, that the state of the nation's teeth. But, and I think I will just say live on air what we just talked about before before the show started. Um, and that is that, you know, I do rather wonder about these things, you know, why the state of dentistry has been allowed to get so awful in this country for so long. And people have been talking about it for decades. And it's been all over the headlines this week. And it's led to 
fluoride being put in our water for millions and millions of people. Um, but there is a huge link between the mouth and the heart. I mean, I don't know if people are aware, but the heart uh, in, in the fetus is the first muscle, first organ to form. And then everyone thinks it's the brain. That's the second. It's actually the tongue because it's well known that the heart muscle and the tongue muscle are the same muscle. So the heart grows first. And then out of that comes the muscle that grows into the human tongue, which is where the expression speak from the heart actually comes from. There is a physical and biological link between the heart and the tongue. And it's well known that the link between uh, gum disease and heart disease, because uh, your mouth links directly to the heart. So bacteria that builds up in the mouth goes into the heart and can inflame the heart muscle. And, and I'm sure the dentist will, will talk about that next week. So if you let the state of the nation's mouths uh, get rotten, you also affect their hearts. And I think that's a link that's worth exploring. But that's not the story I came to talk about today. But I'm delighted that people are listening. I'm delighted that people are picking up on these topics that I know our audience is really hot on. And I'll be very interested to say what the, what the dentist has to say. I mean, that's a brilliant fact that you've come up with there because there are actually so many wonderful expressions that link the mouth and the heart unquestionably. But you're absolutely right. We're, we're experiencing explosions in strokes, in heart disease, and we need to be asking these questions why. But yes, isn't it curious that all week the uh, media has been bombarded with stories about dentistry and suddenly fluoride, new fluoride in water. And I think you're absolutely right to note those uh, links because I... Nothing happens by coincidence with governments, right? We know that. But well done, Gemma, for highlighting this issue and for encouraging these dentists to come forward and want to tell us what's really going on behind the scenes and why there is such a crisis in British dentistry. That's brilliant work. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, just a story to bring to the table this morning. It's not such a brilliant story, I'm afraid, but it is global. It does affect, you know, not just people in the UK, athletes, runners, uh, amateur runners, but it will affect everyone who's in the park run community uh, because park run i mean park runs were started here in the uk in 2004 um and that the saturday morning meetups a bit like stand in the park if you like to have a run but probably possibly without the awake agenda um but you know i'm probably there's i'm sure there are some awake people who do park runs I'm, we're everywhere aren't we um but park run has now become a global global organization it's in 22 countries around the world people meet up in parks from all walks of life and they go for a run you know very ostensibly a nice a nice thing a community event there has been a campaign now though for a very long time especially here in the uk um to stop um transgender men competing in women's categories um, this has been going on for quite a while. Uh, former Olympic swimmer Sharon Davis, former Olympic athlete Daly Thompson and the tennis giant Martina Navratilova have all said that park runs should adopt the same stance as UK athletics and have a separate category for transgender athletes when it publishes records, park run records uh, that are set on its website, you know, and, and people like records, you know, because they can be beaten. So if somebody does a 5K best on a park run, then it spurs other runners to, to beat it, you know, and have a personal best. Um, so they wanted park run and other campaign groups, women in sports, all kinds of organizations said, look, it's not fair on women. If you've got a massive biological advantage, if you were born uh, male, um, we want you to, you can still compete, but you need to put your birth set down so that people can clearly see if you've, if you've outdone the women, it's because you've got a biological advantage or have a separate category. Um, so this row has been running on and on and on. And the Policy Exchange Institute said, um, you know, you must, you should really do this. UK athletics do it. If you don't do this within 12 months and change your policies, you should have your taxpayer funding withdrawn because, you know, it comes, a lot of the funding comes from us, from the UK government funded by the taxpayer. 
Parkrun have taken a very interesting stance. And what they've done, they've refused to do this. They've said initially, it's a community event. People that have transitioned might not want to have it on, on record. Um, they might want to keep it secret. We're inclusive. Funny, not for women, it sounds like. But anyway, they said, look, we know we're not, we're not going to do it. So they've just taken the stance that instead of publishing um, people's birth sexes alongside their best times and their records, it's just going to erase all the data completely. So nobody will see anything and all they'll have is names, ages and, 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 the, and, the, and the time run. So nobody will know where they are, what sex they were at birth and what advantage they may or may not have had in setting personal bests and records. So it's quite an interesting uh, policy to adopt. It's basically saying, la, 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 we're not listening. We're just going to take everything off our website and we're going to carry on regardless. What's very interesting is they said they took this um, decision uh, working with a global think tank group. Um, so I think this is a policy that probably will be adopted in park runs across the 22 countries where park runs now take place. Um, this campaign, particularly in the UK, Sharon Davis, Daley Thompson, Martina Navratilova, this has been going on for quite some time. Uh, but it is an interesting kind of stance to adopt uh, as a global institution is just say, no, we're not going to do it. I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll just take everything off. There's nothing to see here, nothing to see. Um, and, and we're not going to listen. We're not going to listen, despite it being what they say is a community and inclusive event. So a bit of a paradox there if you're a woman or a girl. This is going to backfire so badly. You can't adopt a finger in your ear approach with this issue. I mean, they want they, what they want to do is have, have everybody morphing together. I've actually interviewed Sharon Davis and I went to her home and talked about this very issue. And of course, Sharon was one of the main sports people at the forefront of this. It's really frightening for people to stand up and be counted. They're petrified of being ostracized, of being cancelled. But this is a, another ridiculous situation. And, you know, people uh, keep saying, Saying, often say, all we need is a third category. That isn't the point. These autogynophile males who are, you know, in love with the idea of being seen as female do not want a third category and uh, because they want to be able to align with females. But it just a terrible, horrendous situation. Just as we've been making some strides, Gemma, as you noted a, a couple of weeks ago, making some strides where there are certain sporting areas now where they're saying absolutely not. If you've gone through puberty, et cetera, et cetera. And so there, there has has been some compromises made, but look at this. This is literally a head in the sand approach. This can only backfire, German. There, there can be no good come from this. Well, I mean, it has backfired already. I mean, it's a decision that's just recently been taken this week. Um, um, Save Women's Sports, you know, they've come out all guns blazing. I've had other um, campaign groups, you know, uh, one campaign group said what they'd rather wipe records from the from public, public, you know, record officially than be fair to women, um, you know, they really ha haven't thought this one through and they, they're out of step with most other athletic bodies now around the world, actually, because of the, the backlash and the clear disadvantage that it puts women at. So they are out of step. And it's interesting, they said they took this decision after working with a global think tank group. Now, I wonder where that global think tank group has come from. Was it WEF funded? Was it WHO, um, mm. you know, ostensibly on the basis of inclusion? I'm not saying it was, I don't know. And they haven't released who they worked with to come to this decision. But Parkrun is incredibly popular. Uh, and, it, you know, it exploded after, you know, being invented in the UK. Okay. Now in 22 countries around the world, I wonder where it gets its funding from. It does get taxpayer funded uh, money here in the UK, but it's completely out of step. Um, but they're, they're not backing down. They're just saying, all right, we'll just wipe all the records clean. You'll never know. You'll never know if they were a male at birth. Tough luck. 
Um, but I wonder if, if there'll be enough pressure to say no or whether women will, will step away from park run and women and girls and say no, because if, if we're at such a disadvantage, we're not going to run anymore. Uh, you know, that's that then they've they've lost out twice then unless they go and form a spin-off group. Um, which is perfectly possible. We're we're in charge of making this new world that we all want to be in. Let, then maybe people will stick two fingers up at Parker and say, okay, we'll go and do our own thing. That's perfectly possible too. Mm. Shug in the comments says they're dismantling everything about normal society. They certainly attempted to, but thanks to stations like this, people like us, the pushback is very real in all directions. This has been Friday's edition with Gemma Cooper. We'll see you on Monday, Gemma. Have a fantastic weekend. Take good care of yourself. Be back shortly. TNT's Bruce de Torres. The Who's proposed treaty will increase man-made pandemics by Merrill Nass. Just a minute about this. This report is designed to help readers think about some big topics. How to really prevent pandemics and biological warfare. How to assess proposals by the WHO and its members for responding to pandemics. And whether we can rely on our health officials to navigate these areas in ways that make sense and will help their population. populations. We start with the history of biological arms control and rapidly move to the COVID pandemic, eventually arriving at plans to protect the future. She didn't put protect in quotes, but I just did verbally. World Stage and Bruce de Torres on today's News Talk TNT. A better business tip from TNT Radio. The benefits of advertising on today's news talk, TNT Radio, should be clear to businesses of any shape or size. It can be accessed anywhere, anytime, by anybody, and is the perfect way to build brand awareness and stimulate digital activity. If you'd like more information about advertising on TNT Radio, simply fill out your details on our contact page and we'll be in touch. To find out more, go to tntradio.live. Plug in. Website. TNTradio.live. Check it out. Today's News Talk Radio. It's the coolest. TNT. Oh, it is indeed the coolest. Don't go anywhere because you will be missing out. So, obviously, Gem, that was Gemma with us. I am joined now by David Curtin. David Curtin is a commentator. He's a leader of the Heritage Party. And from next week, the newest presenter on today's News Talk. Hello, David. Good morning. Hello, Sonia. Good morning to you. Bright and early. Bright and early indeed. So you'll be joining us, David. How exciting. The changes at TNT oh. are incredibly exciting at the moment. It's like things are just bubbling up so much. So uh, oh. what should we expect from your show? No, I'm so excited to be joining. I mean, this is going to be, for me, a great step up. You know, I've been used to being a guest on many shows, but I'm going to be a presenter now. So I'll be looking at the latest in news and culture and seeing how things are, are happening and developing. And, you know, obviously we've got so many crazy things happening um, that we need to fight about this and we need to um, keep talking about what's happening and the reasons behind this and also try to come up with solutions and answers and ways that people can get involved and get active in just restoring sanity to our nation and our world. So I'll be looking at that from all different angles, obviously, you know, um, with regard to what's happening in the news uh, on the day. It's a funny state of affairs when we're when our aim and mine is act exactly the same is to restore sanity to our world. I mean, it, it literally half the time feels like we're living in some sort of set of one flew over the cuckoo's nest, right? 
<laughs> right. I know people say this, you know, some people say, go so far as to say, are we living in a simulation? I mean, I don't think that myself, but I can see why <laughs> some people are answering the question, asking the question, because there is so much insanity going on. I mean, you know, the whole transgender thing, for example, is something I've been speaking about for, you know, seven or eight years ago. But in 20 years ago, no one would have even considered this. But now you have the leader of the Labour Party can't even give a straight answer to what a woman is, you know, so. <laughs> This, and this is just one of many, many things um, where we, we, it's almost like 1984, where, you know, the big brother tells Winston Smith, you know, how many fingers am I holding up? He's actually holding up four fingers. And he's, he says, I've got to say five. No, I'm actually, this is five, not four. And you, you're just expected to um, deny reality and affirm delusions and unreality. Uh, and this is happening all over the place. And I could never believe a few years ago that this would be happening in the UK, in, in Great Britain, you know, the, the place where we say this is a free country. But I don't think anyone today would say, well, this is a free country anymore because our freedoms are being taken away and uh, we're being required to do all kinds of things and uh, obey all kinds of regulations, which are really inimical to the human spirit. Absolutely. And, you know, as they as they said, it is very dystopian, isn't it? It's this whole idea that the, the final command is to ignore the evidence of your eyes. Well, thankfully, David, you've never done that. And, you know, you and I, I've talked with you many times and, you know, I've always said to you that even even though you are a politician as well as a commentator, I've always found you to be very honest and straightforward. And that is not something that I can apply to the vast, vast majority of politicians. So on that note, let's talk about some interesting news obviously the story that is blowing up everywhere is to do with Tucker Carlson's interview with President Putin. And uh, just, I mean, even the lead up to it, there were meltdowns all over journalists, like beside themselves at the idea that a journalist might want to interview somebody who's at the centre of many discussions. Did you find the response odd from journalists? Oh, shock horror. A journalist goes to interview someone. This is what they should be doing all the time. This is what we should have been doing from the very beginning. And uh, But instead, what happened was Western governments banned anybody from actually even watching RT, which used to be on, you know, all of the satellite channels you can receive in the UK. And that happened across the Western world. And then said, essentially, you know, that you, you mustn't have contact even with certain people who are in the Russian government, Russian citizens, Russian businessmen, whatever. But I think it's fantastic that Tucker Carlson has gone over there. He tried to do it before, I think, but then um, there, there were threats against him and sort of he didn't do that a few months ago. But now now he's gone and done it and he's gone to interview President Putin. And it's unbelievable, the meltdown uh, from some of the people in the mainstream media, Hillary Clinton and others, you know, and, and saying, oh, you've got to be careful because this is disinformation. When we know the Western governments and the Western mainstream media have been putting out disinformation and misinformation for the last four years, at least about one thing after the other, after the other. So really, yes. I think that these people are just, you know, complete hypocrites, but they don't even see their own hypocrisy. Um, but the good news is that most people in the world can see through it. And this looks like it's going to be the most watched interview of the year, if not the decade, uh, which is fantastic. Well, it's huge. It's significant. It was uh, launched late last night in the UK, by which point I was asleep, given the early start of my day. And uh, but I did watch a 
about three quarters of it this morning, and I wow. found it absolutely fascinating. So it started, I'm not going to give away too many clues here, but it started with a history lesson involving the borders of Russia, Hungary, Ukraine. And actually, Putin made a compelling story um, for his position. He also showed himself to have a good sense of humor. He started off the interview asking Tucker Carlson whether he was there to interview him or to make a show. And, uh, and but it, but it was it was really really good humor. And one of the things that he revealed, which I thought was very interesting, was he talked about when Bill Clinton was at the Kremlin, and he'd said to Bill Clinton about Russia joining NATO, and Bill Clinton said that shouldn't be a problem. This is obviously when Bill Clinton was still the president, and Bill Clinton was like that shouldn't be a problem. And then later at dinner, Clinton said he talked with some people, and that would not be possible. And uh, and so what what Putin was really saying is that a lot of the fight back, it has America absolutely involved. We know it's America's proxy war. We know this. And um, but he was he was saying it was about the issue of borders and about how it had been long considered that Ukraine was an artificial state that was shaped at Stalin's will. So um, tell me some of your thoughts about it. Yeah, absolutely. I've, I've watched about the first quarter of it where he was doing the history lesson part of it. And I've also looked at various headlines. It's very interesting to see how different media outlets are spinning this in a completely different way. I mean, you've got one headline that says uh, Putin is not interested in World War Three, is not interested in invading Poland and Latvia. And another headline from another media outlet says Putin will start World War Three if US bases troops in Ukraine. Um, so you got complete different uh, twists and spins on this uh, from the same interview. But, you know, what I found fascinating just from the first um, half hour of listening to it is he was very, very thorough. And he was doing something, you know, which we don't get very often in Western media is that someone is willing to sit down for two hours and go through and explain things very, very thoroughly. And yes. uh, in, we're, we're just used to getting sound bites. Everything is compressed into 10 or 20 seconds. And that, that you, you don't get the real no. feel for what someone says. You don't get all the nuances. So it's fantastic to be able to see that. It absolutely is. Let us just park that there a second. We're going to go to Matt Boylan with the news headlines. We're going to be straight back discussing the Putin and Carlson interview. I got a news flash for you. Newsflash. TNT Radio News. Matt Boylan here with a look at your TNT headlines. US President Joe Biden has called a rare late night press conference at the White House defending his mental capacity and his ability to run the country. Because I'm the most qualified person in this country to be President of the United States and finish the job I started. Donald Trump is another step closer to securing the Republican presidential nomination after winning the Nevada caucus. And Russian President Vladimir Putin has told Tucker Carlson that he has no intentions of attacking NATO. Are you enjoying listening to TNT Radio? Do you think we're doing a good job? Then please let us know. Why not leave us a like or a positive review or comment on Facebook, Gab or Getter. Help us get the word out as we cover the biggest topics of our time on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Oh, yes, people indeed are happy that David Curtin is joining today's News Talk TNT. James Henry House says, big up. David Curtin, at last, someone with common sense and integrity in equal measure. James, I agree with you, but what do you mean at last? And uh, <laughs> and 
Jewel says, journalists, I use the term very loosely, enraged the journalist seeks both sides of a story. Hilarious, really. Um, and uh, so the thing is, David, we were just discussing about the, the disparity in the headlines, how one headline is portraying him basically, you know, still as a sort of warmonger who doesn't want peace. And another is, you know, saying, oh, he does. But the fact is, he said very, very clearly, he offered peace. He said that the war would be over in weeks if the US stopped giving weapons to the Ukraine. And his biggest concern, and this is something that I think people need to really understand, he said he is very concerned about the Nazification of the Ukraine. It's modelled on Nazi Germany. He wasn't prepared to work with that. And every time that we say to people, there's there's Nazis in Ukraine, they're like, oh, no, don't say that. These are victims. People can't bear the thought of that, can they? Yeah, well, there's complete inconsistency in the Western mainstream media about this, because between 2014 and 2021, there were all kinds of stories about neo-Nazis in Ukraine. Ukraine's got a far right problem. But as soon as the special military operation started, as Putin calls it, in uh, February 2022, it was like, no, there's no Nazis there. And then, well, there may be a few, but they're good Nazis. You know, <laughs> really, the cognitive dissonance is off the scale. But this is true. And um, we see see it. We saw the Azov Battalion. They're well known. I mean, there was a, a whole film about this, um, Ukraine on Fire, and uh, it was all about this happening and uh, the rise of you know real neo-Nazis in Ukraine. So, obviously, he's very, very concerned about that, and I think he's also concerned about um, NATO expansion into Ukraine, and he said that at the beginning. And, you know, as I've said and you've said and many other people who are actually watching this and actually know um, the history of Ukraine going back to 2014, going back to the 1990s, maybe even going back, you know, even be before that, have said that this could have been stopped if we'd have just got round the table and talked peace and not tried to expand NATO up to the borders of Russia, including um, Ukraine with the Zelensky regime and the, the neo-Nazi battalions that are there. I mean, it was common sense. Um, the other thing that I think was is is I've mentioned before, which is very disturbing, is that um, Putin and Zelensky talked peace. They went to Turkey in April 2022. They arranged a peace deal. And the next thing you know, Boris Johnson has flown out to talk to Zelensky. And then the peace deal is scuppered. And then Zelensky is like, no, we're not making peace. Now, Putin's accused Boris Johnson of being the one that, that, that did that, that scuppered the peace deal. Johnson's denied it. You know, so we, I don't know what they actually said uh, behind closed doors, but it's very, very obvious that, you know, he went over there and that is coincidental with um, the, the continuation of war and the escalation of war. So, you know, the government that we have in this country, um, in my opinion, is has got blood on its hands. And, you know, there, there's a case for bringing that to the International Court of Justice, for example. Um, so we need to take this very seriously and look into this. Um, but what we need to do as well is make sure if there's another chance of peace, that we don't scupper it this time, that we actually you know, pursue this because half a million Ukrainians have died. And they're the ones who have suffered most because they're being picked up in press gangs now and sent to the front line as cannon fodder. And, you know, if we care about Ukraine, if we really care, we will want to stop this war as soon as we possibly can. 
Yes, absolutely. As he said, we did not start this war in 2022. This is an attempt to stop the war that Ukraine started in 2014. And just to say, David, if it's a choice of whom do I believe, Boris Johnson or President Putin, it would be President Putin every time because Boris Johnson is a proven compulsive liar. And we know that for fact. So let me move on to the next story with you. This I found extremely, extremely disturbing. And by the way, I absolutely say, go watch that interview. Absolutely worth it. So this extremely disturbing story is, is a consequence of freedom of information requests to 45 police forces in England and Wales and found that 553 children were arrested for gun crimes last year. This is really disturbing. Some as young as 11, David. What were your thoughts about this story? Yeah, I mean, it goes with that. That's a raw statistic. But what it also says is that's a 25% increase on the year before. So this is a problem that's getting worse. And this is very disturbing because we do know that there are gangs now that target children because they're easy to manipulate. And some of the gangs, you know, this was postulated in that report, uh, that, that possibly that they are targeting children and getting them to start using firearms and getting involved in gun crime and using that to carry out crimes, to carry out theft or to, you know, enforce what they're doing with, with the activities of the gangs that they're involved in. Now, the other thing on that, you know, to mollify that a little bit, it says firearms offences. So I don't think that it doesn't say yet if anyone has actually fired a gun who's a child and killed somebody. But if it's an increase, if there's an increase in children between 11 and 18 having guns, um, the question is, how on earth are they getting the guns and how long is it going to be until they actually do start using them and shooting and killing people? So I think this is something that we need to nip in the bud uh, before it gets any worse. It's some pretty horrendous stuff. I've interviewed people to do with the county lines, drug dealing, and it is really, really scary. As you say, young children are used. These children are like mules. They're they're literally moving from the smaller towns and villages, you know, into the cities to to sell the drugs on behalf of the sort of overlords and everything. But it it really is very disturbing indeed because these are children. What? ever happened to childhood are we do we have such a problem with family and home life that so many children are just falling under the net constantly we know we have a problem with families staying together i myself was a single parent and i know that there are issues attached with that thankfully i had a village in the shape of my brothers and sisters helping me raise my daughter and so that can really make all the difference but some of these children who are growing up david they they don't hardly even have one parent properly in the home. So these are real problems that we have to tackle at root level, right? It's not just a case of issuing freedom of information requests and finding out that these young kids are, are armed, but what is happening in their home that makes them turn to these gang environments in the first place? Yeah, well, every child is an individual, so everyone will have their own individual situation and story. But you know what's happening generally as is as you say there is huge family breakdown in this country and you know these gangs target 
vulnerable young children who don't have a father in the home, maybe don't have a father and a mother, have neither. They target children who are in care. And uh, because they're easy targets, they're vulnerable, and they're probably, because of the instability of their home life, they're probably, you know, some of them might already be getting into, you know, inclining towards misbehavior and criminality anyway, because, you know, as, as we sort of, people say, you know, when someone doesn't have a father in the home, especially teenage boys, they look for a father figure. They really need that at the age of 12, 13, 14, 15. And then gangs come along and they offer that, but there's a price to pay. They're not loving, caring fathers. They're just people who take that role in a horrible, twisted way and then use these children for their own ends. But the children, they're, they're not, their minds are not developed. Um, you know, like someone who's a 30, 40 year old who can see through this. They're looking, they're growing up, they're emotionally unstable, and they're, they're easily swayed, some of them. So there is a huge issue, and uh, we need to do far more to support families um, to change the culture, change the whole culture to, you know, re re-establish the family is the the bedrock of the nation and it's something which is absolutely necessary to bring up children well absolutely couldn't agree more ladies and gentlemen this has been david curtin who is the newest recruit to today's news talk tnt you will see him from next week and i will be back shortly thank you for joining me today david great to hear from you as ever thanks sonia See you shortly. De-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective. The cyclone that's in the north of Australia is kind of unusual for an El Nino season. That's because we have not really had an El Nino season this year in Australia. The Southern Oscillation Index, the longest running measure of the ENSO, or El Nino La Nina, has not cooperated at all. And we knew this was a problem way back in the Northern Hemisphere fall in our spring because we weren't seeing a lot of typhoons. Usually when you have a big El Nino, you have a lot of typhoons going off and we had the third lowest typhoon production on record. So something funky was going on. However, that Southern Oscillation Index is going to crash for the month of February, which means that our fall should be average in Australia. Now I'm bringing all this up because that crash in February is linked to severe cold in the United States and Europe for February into March. And we're seeing another ferocious storm attacking Norway now. A lot of heavy rain is coming into Europe over the next week. Now the two times that happened, it turned frigid in Europe. Same thing is going to happen. Mid-February to mid-March will be frigid in Europe. You see all these storms crashing into the United States? Well, guess what? It's going to turn frigid in the United States. In fact, for much of the United States, the worst of the winter is on the way. And just think, it all hinges on looking at the weather around Australia. Isn't that nice? Hands across the water. Australia, the States, and Europe. Kumbaya. This is TNT Climate and Weather Watchdog Meteorologist Joe Bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you've got. Around here... Bushfire is just a part of life. We've been through it before, and we'll get through it again. The people here all look out for each other. We're a community that does its bit to plan and prepare, to keep everyone safe. We live with bushfire, so we live bushfire ready. The conversation continues with Sonia Poulton on today's News Talk, 
TNT. Now, last December, Julian Assange's two-day public hearing was announced for February 20 and 21 at the UK High Court. This is to determine whether Julian will have permission to appeal or whether he will be extradited to the United States. TNT will be at the Royal Courts of Justice broadcasting and covering the entire two days if required. Then TNT will broadcast from various locations throughout London. You know why? Because we are lighting the fuse for freedom because this is today's news talk, TNT. And on that note, I am also delighted to be welcoming in my next guest. Now, this is somebody whose video has pretty much gone viral online, and I had the pleasure of watching it this week. And I immediately said, this is a man we should have on the show. Absolutely. And I know he's no stranger to TNT. He is indeed Professor Ian Ernest Brighthope. Good morning, Professor. How are you? Or good, good evening, morning, good afternoon. Um Good evening or well, good morning. It doesn't really matter. No, it doesn't. As long as we're all communicating, right? That's the important thing. Ian is a director of nutritional and environmental medicine at the National Institute of Integrative Medicine. And you are the co-founder of Australasian College of Nutritional and Environmental Medicine as well. You have a long and worthy history of trying to center up other approaches to our health, Ian. And uh, it, it's absolutely brilliant, some of the things you, you've been doing. But but what I think what brings you here with me today is from February the 1st in the Australian Senate, the Legal and Constitutional Affairs References Committee, and you are calling for a broad-based royal commission regarding COVID. And some of the things that you had to say literally made me shiver. You know that feeling when somebody says something that you want to hear and it resonates with you so that you get such a visceral reaction. Well, that is the impact your statement had on me and others who listened to you. So let's first of all break down some of your statement. And I'd like a reaction from you on that, if I may, please, Ian. You started off by giving some history of who you are, your graduation, and how you, what, what you had co-founded and what you've been involved in. And then you come into COVID. And this is where it immediately started to get like, oh, he's really going to take an interesting approach here. Because this is speaking truth to power, what you did. And what you said, you said, Senator, a virus that had an infection fatality rate no worse than a severe influenza season was announced to the world in late 2019. And you talk about how your colleagues and you immediately recommended the supplementation of vitamin C, D and the mineral zinc for maximizing the functionality of the immunity system. This immediately, Ian, was what people were screaming about. Just talk us through that, why you felt the need to open up with that. Well, thanks, Sonia. That's exactly what we did. And it's what we've done for every epidemic um, since I graduated. And we've been teaching this at the College of Nutritional and Environmental Medicine for over four decades now, that uh, you don't go into an epidemic or a pandemic with a population who have low levels of vitamin D in particular, but C and zinc are also very important. So it's basically something that we've been teaching uh, and using the science thereof for over four decades. Uh, and we have been ignored by the medical authorities and the politicians in this country and my colleagues around the world for that matter. We're part of a, a, a group of uh, doctors, physicians around the world who believe in approaching uh, these pandemics and epidemics and infectious disease generally by building up the uh, repair mechanisms, the anti-inflammatory mechanisms and the 
or the immune system itself in particular, so that we can actually by ourselves fight these infections and develop natural herd immunity, which is the most powerful and profound immunity you can get. You don't get immunity, full immunity from vaccination. That's a myth, but you can get it if you do get the natural infection. So that's where we started and uh, I kept on going uh, and going and going and putting things out there in the, in the media for as long as we could, uh, especially after it had been uh, claimed that it was a pandemic by a prime minister here in Australia. I wrote to our prime minister, wrote to the health minister, I wrote to the chief medical officers, I wrote to uh, the opposition, I wrote to the unions, I wrote to the AMA, the RACGP, the Royal Australian College of General Practitioners, a whole lot of authorities, uh, and we were completely ignored. Um, it was unbelievable that we could be entering into an infectious disease with a population whose vitamin D levels, despite the fact that we live in a sunny country, we do have up to 50% of the population deficient and even more uh, having insufficient levels of vitamin D in our systems. And this is why we get colds and flus during the winter because we don't have enough vitamin D to protect ourselves. It's the most powerful defense mechanism that we have. And uh, it, it uh, beggars belief that my grandmother and my mother gave us as kids cod liver oil to boost our immunity. And cod liver oil, of course, contains vitamin A and vitamin D. And the vitamin A is also, we now know, very, very important for uh, our killer cells, part of the immune system, our T killer cells uh, function better if they're given more vitamin A. So. You know, this, this nutritional Im uh, immunology is something that has been ignored because it doesn't make money. I mean, that's the reality, isn't it? You also recommended and which highly controver uh, highly controversial at the time and getting less controversially so now, but you recommended hydroxychloroquine, didn't you? Ivermectin for early treatment. What was the response to that when you first came out with that? I can only imagine. Was it oh. horse tranquilizers? Uh, horse, horse, yeah, I mean, <laughs> unbelievable. When billions of doses have been used in humans in Africa to prevent blind, um, river blindness, and elephantitis. I mean, it's one of the safest drugs uh, that we've got available to us, and it's come from a natural source. It's come from a fungus in the soil in Japan. Uh, so this was the uh, narrative that came from the opposition that just wanted to push vaccines uh, and lock us down, put masks on us, separate us from our uh, families, etc. Uh, a very, very seriously failed uh, management system globally. And that's why I'm speaking up, because we don't want this to happen again, Sonia. We just don't need it. Uh, it's destroyed the fabric of our society here in Australia. It's separated, still separating people, those who are vaccinated and those who are not vaccinated. The vaccinated are, are getting sicker. They're dying from autoimmune diseases and heart disease and cancers. Uh, and it, it's unbelievable that we're still giving this, these uh, so-called boosters, which is the same as the original vaccine, uh, just call it a, a vaccine or, or a... Uh, more a, a genetic uh, injection of genes. Uh, it's a genetic therapy rather than uh, right. a vaccine. So we're playing around with, with danger because it's the blueprint of life. My, my big issue now is that <clears throat> all of those who are vaccinated uh, and have uh, the lipid nanoparticles and the uh, mRNA and the DNA, which is a contaminant, and the endotoxin, which causes shock, uh, and inflammation, including inflammation in the brain. Uh, people are getting sicker and sicker. What is happening to this mRNA waste product as it's going out there 
into the community, into our water systems, into our sewage systems, and into our environment. Because nanomedicines and nanoparticles just don't break down. It's possibly going to be one of the greatest pollutants of all time, and nobody else has been mentioning this. So you know, just have to think about it and think clearly uh, about the potential for these uh, lipid nanoparticles, lipids that never existed in nature, and we hope they get broken down, but as nanoparticles, they can last for a very long time in biological systems. I'm very, very concerned about the current uh, population of people who've been vaccinated, uh, as well as the young people who want to have children in the future because we've now discovered that the lipid nanoparticles take the RNA and the DNA into the gonads, into the ovaries and testicles, and we are now witnessing males who have uh, suffering from azospermia, which is basically they cannot produce sperm, not a single sperm. So what we've done is the greatest uncontrolled um, experiment on mankind. We've been conned into this by people who want to make money out of vaccines. The pharmaceutical industry is a failing industry because more and more of the population in Australia and in Western countries are actually moving towards diet, exercise, positive thinking and uh, supplements of herbs and vitamins and so forth for better well-being. People don't want to get sick anymore uh, because we have a failed uh, so-called healthcare system, as I pointed out to the senators in the, in the in the inquiry, that we don't have a healthcare system. Health has been uh, hijacked by medicine and medicine has been hijacked by Big Pharma. And Big Pharma is a part of a, a massive industry that we need to take control of because if we don't, it's going to happen again. We've been promised by the right. WHO that we're going to have another pandemic. And this time, uh, it's going to be 20 times worse than COVID. Well, COVID was just a bad flu. If it's 20 times worse than COVID, then it's going to be a, a bad, bad flu, which we can prevent with vitamin C, D and zinc and the, the good old ivermectin. I mean, we were told here in Australia to do Australian study on these things. We did an Australian study, published it, on these things, we show that actually people who had high levels of vitamin D didn't get sick and go into hospital. Those who had very low levels uh, got sick. Those who had the lowest levels ended up in intensive care. And if you're completely deficient, lower than 10 nanomoles per litre, you could die. We also showed quite, quite clearly, Sonia, this is something that I really uh, am very, very angry about. Our intensivists, the intensive care specialists, refused to give dying people high-dose intravenous vitamin C, which we showed quite categorically prevented people going in, into intensive care. If they're in intensive care, prevented them from going on to a, a ECMO or life support or um, ventilator. And if they're on a ventilator, you can get them off it quickly. You also, if they got vitamin C IV in intensive care, they're out of intensive care much quicker than those who were not given it. So. We, we work with the real good natural science, if you like, not with experimental drugs. And that right. was the thing about this pandemic. Everything was experimental. Absolutely. I completely applaud your stance against medical tyranny. And I think it is absolutely amazing. We started off the show today where we were talking about the the attempts at forced vaccinating an incapacitated 22-year-old and his mother has been dragged through the courts. The coercion to vaccinate people and the lack of informed consent was just so alarming. But it's still continuing, isn't it? It is continuing. Uh, Sonia, I live in Melbourne, uh, in Victoria. And Melbourne was the most shut down, lockdown city in the world. 
we suffered from months on end of, uh, of lockdowns. We had a ring of steel around the city. If we went out and, and peacefully demonstrated, uh, the police in black uniforms would be there with semi-automatic rifles firing rubber bullets at, uh, at the people uh, who were peacefully demonstrating against the lockdowns. The, the, this uh, absolutely unbelievable behaviour from the authorities, and we don't want that repeated again. We lost our bodily autonomy. The, we the, certainly did. You know, we certainly did. It can't happen again, Ian. It cannot be allowed to happen again. And because of good people like you, we stand every chance of being able to withstand it better than we did the last time. So bring me finally to, as you say, you presented all of this and you said these are all powerful reasons for a broad-based Royal Commission. So what are your hopes of that? Well, we're, we're now uh, completing our witness statements for uh, the Senate so that uh, the Senator who acted as the chair will look at all of our uh, witness statements, uh, take them on board uh, and write a report. The report goes to the Senate, the Australian Senate, uh, and the Senate will vote on whether or not to have a Royal Commission. And if they, uh, they vote in favour of a Royal Commission, then it will go to the lower house, the House of Representatives, and they will vote on it down there as well. So it's going to be a tough, uh, tough task to get this across the line, but we have to, we have to keep on persisting with this. Uh, Sonia, we uh, published, or my colleagues uh, published, a book called Too Many Dead, a, a large tomb of papers written by experts, not only in Australia but around the world, uh, showing that the excessive death rate uh, is something that is, has not been examined here in Australia. They don't want to uh, have any inquiries into it. They're voting against it. We've had three votes for... Uh, uh, an inquiry into why we have these excessive unexplained deaths, but uh, uh, the, they don't want to have it. They're too frightened. There are politicians here who are courageous enough to stand up and say, yes, we need to have it. They know why people are dying. They're dying because of these vaccines, these experimental vaccines. And the, yes. the, death, rate, the death rate is unbelievably high. Uh, and people are dropping uh, every day I get calls somebody else has died. And these are just from my friends and colleagues and relatives. Um, and and uh, I never, ever in my whole career ever thought I knew there was this neo-Marxism creep occurring in right. the West. Right. We, now know, we now know that there is a, uh, a dark underbelly side uh, to uh, what's going on. Uh, and uh, I don't mind mentioning the WEF and the WHO and the, and the people funding the WHO are all involved in this this uh, uh, democide, if you like, because it's not just simple genocide uh, when you uh, try to uh, reduce population with a medicine such as a vaccine. And one of the uh, funders of the WHO has boasted that he's made uh, 20 times his investment in uh, vaccines, uh, and he's going to continue doing this because the investments are so profound and re rewarding at the expense... I of human lives. I think that says it all, Ian. I'm going to have to bring you back in because there's so much more that I want to unpack with you. I'm so grateful for you joining us today and so grateful for you speaking truth to power, which is what anybody should do. And so few in your profession have been prepared to do it. So I am absolutely grateful to you for doing so. Everybody, this has been Professor Ian Ernest Bright Hope. Indeed, never has a name been more true, frankly. Thank you so much, Ian. Take excellent care of yourself. Have a wonderful weekend. That's Ian Bright Hope, who's been with us, of course 
on the Sonia Poulton Show on TNT. And we draw to a close this week. And just to say at TNT Radio, of course, we never go home. We are committed to bringing you our take on the biggest topics of our time. We broadcast live 24-7 online globally, no matter what. We've got you covered on today's News Talk TNT. And this has been Friday's edition of the Sonia Poulton Show, indeed on TNT. And that wraps up another week. And I want to thank you all for your incredible input from the whole team and myself. Have a wonderful weekend. We will see you Monday. Do not go away. Abby Roberts is coming up. Take excellent care of yourself. See you Monday. Monday.